This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture and Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com, 365 Sports. I'm Craig Smoke. Sikkim 365 radio host, also writer for Sikkim365.com, joined by Grayson Grundhafer, uh, recruiting coordinator, director of broadcasting over at Sikkim 365, and we have a doozy of a football game to talk about on this week's episode, as last week, Baylor football goes down at home to number 19, Kansas State, 31-3, to and so the Bears out of the Big 12 title picture, and now one final home game remaining coming up this weekend against unbeaten Top four Big 12 championship game clinched TCU. Oh, yeah, arch rival Horn Frogs as well, led by Sonny Dykes. And uh, a big game now to close out the 2022 festivities at McLean Stadium. A big need for a bounce back for this football team. And uh, some hoops to talk about as well. We'll get into that. But uh, Grayson, this is uh, going to be one that's not fun to talk about, but one that I'm looking forward to putting behind us because uh, that was. Uh, memorable in all the wrong ways, I think, on Saturday night, the loss to K-State and just a, a thorough drubbing by Chris Kleiman and the Wildcats that I didn't see coming, and I don't think anybody, including Dave Aranda, saw that one coming. Yeah, definitely not. It was a very disappointing performance, especially with, you know, the blackout there and just all this anticipation for this game and one that, you know, Baylor needed to make the Big 12 championship because now they're they're basically out. I mean, there's a path, but it, it's very narrow. Um, for this team to make it to the Big 12 title game, I'd basically just go ahead and, and wrap that up. It's not I happening. have, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's what's even more disappointing, is that there was so much on the line, and this Baylor team just kind of played flat. Um, and, man, how many times have we said that this year? Uh, just a flat performance in front of your home fans. They just have not played their best football at home, which is so polar opposite of last year where they were so good at home and so bad on the road. This year they just have not played great at home. I know they've won games, but it just has been, it just has not felt the same uh, as it did a year ago. So, you know, the momentum was completely sucked out of the crowd very early in the game, it felt like at least. Um, and so, yeah, now we're sitting here, Baylor 6-4, and 4-3 four, four and three in conference, and uh, coming off of the, the most disappointing, in my eyes, performance of the year, and their true clunker. You know what I mean? Every team has a clunker every year. This was definitely their clunker uh, this season. Yeah, and at the absolute worst time when the fan base, you know, kind of rallied itself, uh, the administration gives away a bunch of free tickets in the thousands and tries to fill remaining seats. And, you know, whether it's grassroots blackout, which, you know, it was cool to see those involved, like get that going and, and find some success and, you know, pulling that off um, basically in less than a week's time. And then, you know, you give some, some tickets to some – uh, folks that are in need or just looking to go to the game and you make an effort and you get a crowd to show up after all that that work uh, to, to do it. Uh, quite frankly, way too much work for a game of this caliber, uh, quite frankly, but that's beside the point. You get people to show up and then you don't even give them an opportunity really to get into this game whatsoever. So let's get into how this thing unfolded. It was pretty simple. It was pretty simple and it was pretty much all K-State 
all night long. Uh, the Wildcats, their game plan was, I keep referring to as like Bailey, basically Baylor and Lubbock uh, in so many ways. Hold on to the football, drain clock, keep it out of the offense's hands. And uh, Kansas State, right out of the gate, it's pretty clear what they wanted to do. Exactly that. Don't let the Baylor offense on the field and get their defense tired and keep them on the field for as long as possible. A 13-play drive that went 36 yards. 13 plays to go 36 yards, and it took them six and a half minutes to go 36 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's grinding it out, if there ever was a drive to grind it out. 13 for 36 in over six and a half minutes, and it all ends in nothing as Kansas State goes for it on fourth and six at the Baylor 32, and Adrian Martinez gets sacked by Garmin Randolph and Matt Jones. And so right there it looked promising, although – the crowd had been waiting for the defense to get a stop for over six minutes. Mm-hmm. They finally do, and it's like, hooray. Offense gets on the field. All right, let's party. They start moving the football down the field. They go farther than Kansas State in fewer plays and fewer time, but unfortunately their drive also ends with no points because as they get into, uh, well, they're in field goal territory. Now it's a matter of are they going to score a touchdown or are they going to do a chip shot field goal. But either way, they're going to take the lead on their first possession. Wait, no, they're not. Blake Shapin's going to throw an interception. And quite frankly, Grayson, the game was over after the following drive. Like this whole play, how it just wildly swung everything in one direction and it never swung back was wild to me. Like, it was almost like they were waiting for the first mistake to just fall apart, and then it happened with Shapin's pick, and then this team just, like, I don't know. Like, it just – it's like the batteries got taken out or something. Yeah, and I've said this, I think, on this podcast a million times. Blake Shapin's inaccuracy across the middle of the field has been woeful, and Mm -hmm. it's led to turnovers, and I know you can blame, you know, one on Gavin Holmes. You can blame one on, you know, oh, it hit a receiver's hand, so you got to catch it, but – I mean, you got to be accurate when you're throwing the ball across the middle of the field. You have to be because your receiver's momentum is taking him one way. You throw it behind him. You throw it high. You're you're leaving opportunities for the defense to make plays. And on this one, I mean, he threw a, a pass that was way too high. I mean, just way and threw a bullet. Like, if you're going to throw a bullet, you got to be on the numbers. He wasn't. Ball gets tipped up, and then the safety waiting right behind gets the interception. I, I It was... Not a good sign of things to come, and they really needed points there, right? Like, it, it just yeah. felt like you got down the field, you need to get points here, take control of the game um, early, and they couldn't do it. Yeah, Kobe Savage got the pick. Unfortunately for K-State, he would end up leaving the yeah. game hurt, and I think he's out for the year now. So that's a loss for the Wildcats. But I'll tell you what, Chris Kleiman after the game, I don't know if he's had many press conferences where he looked happier. And they talked about how the game plan going in was to hold on to the football, Hog possessions because they knew there wouldn't be a lot of possessions in this game. There were two possessions in the entire first quarter, one for each team. So that was to the T what they wanted to do. Um, and, and Baylor, too, I think. Well, I think, I think yeah. it was Baylor's game plan, sure, too, right? Sure, absolutely. But, you know, each get a possession, each walk away empty. Uh, and so to the second quarter you go. And then, as I said, after that pick, it was all K-State. As they go 12 plays, 97 yards in five minutes, a lot of Deuce Vaughn. Uh, eventually Will Howard comes in because Adrian Martinez ends up hurt. This actually turned out to be a bad thing for Baylor. Yep. And I don't think anybody – I'm pretty sure nobody asked the Rand to this, and I didn't think to pass it along to Smokey for his one-on-one, but um, I have to believe they prepared for Will Howard. Like, I know that you only have so much time during the week, but, like, you had to 
plan for him potentially playing in this game. I hope. If you didn't, I think that was a grave error because I would have. Uh, and I know, again, you only have so much time, but Will Howard does come in after the Adrian Martinez injury. I think that they prepared a lot for Adrian Martinez and the fact that they knew they had to take away a running quarterback. Sure. And I think that that, helped, you know, that changes your scheme, right, when Will Howard comes in the game. So when you prep for so long for Adrian Martinez – and then in this situation, you actually get unlucky because he gets injured. And then Will Howard comes in. Like, it wasn't like he was benched. Clearly, K-State wasn't going to go to him unless they, I guess, struggled or whatever because he wasn't in the game any time before Adrian Martinez got hurt. Um, but you're exactly right. I mean, Adrian Martinez was the better matchup for Baylor. And Will Howard absolutely you know, he played so well again, and it's clear they're better with him at quarterback, I think. So whenever we talk about, like, all these things, like, oh, well, Dave Aranda's facing Sonny Dykes for the first time since they were on staff together, like, all these little storylines going in. How about one that was a little bit overlooked? Will Howard comes in, wins this game, and he's talking about the game two years ago in Waco and how that served his motivation. Kleiman's talking about that game, how it served his motivation. All these guys are talking about how embarrassed they were two years ago, and they carried that into this game and wanted to embarrass Baylor, and they did, and they felt good. And so, you know, we talk about those things sometimes. Those aren't distractions. Those are just storylines. And, you know, players answer the little bit vanilla way of like, oh, we're not thinking about that. They're thinking about that time that they played the last time and, you know, the bad game that they had. And it certainly served as motivation for Will Howard and Kleiman and Vaughn and everybody else. Uh, they were all smiles after this one. And this is where the party really started as they score there, uh, forced ba uh, Will Howard to um, – uh, Sanat, who had a huge game, uh, didn't think about him really too much going into this one, and I don't think that most did because he wasn't a huge factor for them, but he was in this game. Uh, this was a nice little weapon for them to fully deploy on the Bears as um, he joined Vaughn and Howard and a couple of others as huge impact guys in he this was game. awesome, yep. and he was honestly a true difference maker for them. Um, you know, if you look at their receiving game, their wide receivers, they didn't play that great, but no. Sanat was awesome and uh, Deuce Vaughn obviously was great too but I do feel like they attacked Baylor in that way though I think they were like "Ooh, across the middle of the field we like this this is where a lot of receivers have had success against Baylor we saw it at the very very beginning of the year with Ashton Hawkins the receiver for Texas State the slot receiver just getting open consistently across the middle of the field Sanat did that they flexed him out later in the game and used him as a wide receiver he was he was a problem for Baylor all night long. And yeah, like you said, he scored the touchdown to get the, the scoring rolling. Yeah, 12 plays, 97 yards. Uh, Howard to Sanat, 7 nothing. Kansas State was how they would take advantage of that turnover. And so you're already like halfway into the second quarter at this point. Baylor's had the ball one time. Uh, they get the ball back, six plays and punt. K-State gets the ball back, 12 plays, 47 yards, five and a half minutes. 12 plays to go 47 yards. Again, just soaking that clock and grinding this thing out. And they end up kicking a field goal, uh, which felt like maybe a very minor moral victory at that point. But now it's 10 to nothing, and you're not even holding on to the football basically at all at this point. You get it back, three and out. You only end up going four yards and taking a minute off the clock before Isaac Power has to step in and punt. And then uh, Kansas State just putting it on 17 nothing as they go seven plays, 66 yards in under three minutes. Some Will Howard, some Deuce Vaughn. Uh, eventually, it's Howard to Vaughn uh, for the 20-yard touchdown. 
And uh, one of the other things that they mentioned quite a bit in the postgame was not only did everybody kind of have some motivation from a couple years back who played in that game, because that was a younger K-State group that's now this senior-laden group or veteran-laden group that's playing for a Big 12 title, potentially. Uh, but one thing that they all were amazed by, and I think everybody was amazed by, was how many times Deuce Vaughn got left wide open. They couldn't believe it, Grayson. Yeah. I can't believe it either. That's Deuce freaking Vaughn, and he was open a lot in this game, and he scores here. It's uh, 17 to nothing, and then uh, Baylor with the final opportunity to uh, to try and put some points on the board, and they're able to, although it just felt kind of like a fizzled-out ending to the uh, first half as uh, you'd love to have seen a touchdown and then get the ball back and maybe get something going, uh, but instead they end up resorting to a 37-yard field goal by John Mayers, which is good with just seconds remaining in the first half. So um, able to break the shutout, but 17-3 to at halftime. Yeah, and that drive by Kansas State, they even had a penalty. It was second and 15 when Deuce Vaughn caught that pass. was just wide open. I mean, there's nothing any Baylor defender was going to do once he caught that football. So that was really troubling because it felt like if you hold him to a field goal there, it's only 13-0. You get a field goal or score a touchdown. You're right in this game going into halftime. And instead, it's 17-3 to at half. Um, yeah, I was amazed at how often they left Deuce Vaughn open. It, it was terrible. I, I would also say they said in the post game how they saw some weaknesses in the Baylor defense and yeah. felt like they could take advantage of them, and they did. Uh, I would also say something that I don't think we mentioned last week, but there are two really good pass-catching running backs in the Big 12, probably three. Um, two just happened to be on the same team, and Baylor hadn't played either of them yet, and that's Deuce Vaughn, Bijan Robinson, and Roshan Johnson. They haven't really had to deal with a really, really good pass-catching running back, um, and I just I don't know that they were prepared for it. And I think their their lack of speed at the linebacker position showed up often. Their uh, youth in the secondary showed up often. It just overall was a terrible first half, and the crowd was just completely out of it at that point. Yeah, I mean, they never, outside, I guess, the fourth down stop on the first drive, and then when they felt like the Bears were going to go down and score points to start the game until the interception, like, then after that, they were pretty much out of this thing, and then especially at halftime. Um, but, yeah, uh, you at least say, okay, we well, got points. They're down 14. You score a touchdown to start the second half. It's 17-10. You get a stop on defense, and boom, you're back in this thing, right? Well, Kansas State was like, no, we're not going to make it <clears throat> that easy and that simple for you because they got a stop on the very first drive as Baylor uh, gets the ball, tries to create some momentum, they end up going seven plays, covering 39 yards in a little over three minutes, and uh, go for it on fourth down. A first and 10 turned into a first and 20, uh, then a second and 20, and then a third and 13 after a Blake shape and rush, and then on fourth and 10, just trying to get you know get something going and, and do something that they've had some success with at the K-State 36. So, I mean, it doesn't it's not like mind-boggling to do this, but... 10 yards against this defense is asking a lot when you haven't been able to move the football. And sure enough, uh, Blake Shape, an incomplete pass going to Josh Cameron. So late on that throw. Yep. Threw it behind him as well. Just a, a complete miss, but also like this Baylor offense is not built for fourth and 10. No, this Baylor offense not many are. It's fourth and two, third and five. And so they got set back here. And this stinks because it really did feel like, hey, you go score a touchdown here, the crowd might flip. You yep. might really be able to get some momentum. Instead, 
a, a miss of a throw once again, and now you're just sitting there 17-3, and here comes Kansas State offense back out. Yeah, and, you know, typically they'd run seven minutes off the clock, but this time Baylor actually gets a stop, which is even more frustrating because yep. you just – if you had scored and then you get a stop like you just did, then, you know, but instead – K-State goes three and out, and they don't even take advantage of it as they go eight plays, 31 yards before punting the football away. K-State gets the ball back, 12 plays, 80 yards. They're back on their grind. They take another five minutes off of the clock and put this one away, 24-3 to three on a long drive. Will Howard to Sanat once again, a 19-yard touchdown. They're up 21. Get off the sticks, Bears. Uh, and they soon enough would. Baylor gets the ball back, and will close the third quarter by uh, going four and out. Uh, again, trying to get something sparked. Uh, Shapin runs the ball on third down. Uh, they face a fourth and three at their own 19-yard line, heading into the fourth quarter, down three scores, and Dave Wren is like, we got to get a spark somehow or another. Nothing's working, and this didn't work either. Uh, fourth and three, incomplete pass. Uh, looking for Monterey Baldwin. The Bears turn it over on downs. K-State, well, we'll get to that, but it was pretty much clockwork after that one. Yeah, so I had a big issue with that drive, that second drive for Baylor. So just quickly going through it, they had a six-yard run, a one-yard run, a 10-yard run, and a five-yard run. Okay, so it's second and five at the Baylor 35. Uh, Baylor did not run a designed run play the rest of that drive, and they end up punting. Why? Why yeah, are you not know. running the football against this team? They gave up 270 yards to Texas on the ground the week before. You're at home. Run the football. Like, you got a first down. You, you're moving the ball a little bit with the run game, and instead they decide to throw the football. Blake Shapin's running. He was. They were running. He was running. running. I don't know why he was running, but, yeah. Don't know. That was part of the design, clearly, though, and it didn't seem all that effective. It did not but, work at all. Yeah, but they kept going to that. Yeah, it did not work, and I just – I was – baffled by this drive because they started and it was like okay you're running the football they're getting a little tired because you just had a nice long drive that yeah you got stopped but you you finally kept them on the field you had a three and out now you're right back out there run the ball run it on just keep running it pace things out give Blake Shapin much more manageable throws and instead you're sitting there with a third and nine because you elected to throw the football and then you got to punt it and it, it just felt like after that drive, the game was over. And it didn't yeah. even matter what K if K-State scored. It just felt like, okay, so this is what the game has become. They're going to throw the football. They're playing from behind. And I just didn't feel like they needed to go into this mode of, we need to throw the ball when they were only down by 14 points. Well, they were down by 21 after that because, as I mentioned, K-State with a long, long drive, 12 for 80 yards in five minutes. And then, of course, as I mentioned, Baylor turns it over on downs to close the third quarter. So... Um, I mean, it just kept falling apart. Uh, fourth quarter, K-State with the ball back, quick strike score, um, much shorter drive than we had seen, only five plays for 20 yards. Uh, Giddens uh, gets into the end zone. Uh, they're back up running back as he starts to do damage. And you could tell, like, they dominated this game so much that this is apparently, it seems like a young man who, had, by the sounds of it, was getting disgruntled because Deuce Vaughn's, like, their guy. And so they got to showcase him. And Chris Kleiman even, like, purposely mentioned him at the end of his press conference like he was recruiting. Yeah. And I was just like, man, they really got everything they wanted out of this game. Mm -hmm. Like, even, like, soothed over the hurt backup quarterback or backup running back's feelings, got him in the end zone. Like, they did everything they wanted. Got Will Howard in the game. Yeah. Now they actually get to play the better quarterback and don't have to worry about hurting Adrian Martin. Yeah, the only feelings, bad news is 
the only bad news is Will Howard can't redshirt now. Right. And they worked really hard to make that happen. But um, no matter, I mean, he'll go and finish this year out because Martinez is now officially hurt, hurt. Um, but yeah, K-State getting scores. Uh, they're up 31-3. to It's over. Uh, but just to make sure, Baylor turns it over on downs after a seven-play drive. So what the third time and four drives in the second half, they turned it over on downs. And they this drove time, again. Yeah. Fourth and six at the K-State 20. And uh, Shapin incomplete looking for Hal Presley. K-State would punt it away um, in, you know, late fourth quarter after they uh, just have a drive that, you know, comes to a stop after, uh, you know, nine plays and covering about 40-plus yards. So one final time for the Bears to touch the football. And uh, they go seven plays, 40 yards. I mean, all this is for naught because they're down by multiple scores at this point. But I guess just save in face if you want to. But a perfect ending is Blake Shapin picked off. Um, and he gets intercepted at the Kansas State 20 to bring that drive to a close. And uh, that was it. That was the end of the game right there. 31-3, to a thorough tail-kicking. Um, and one of the, the – you know, and this is like going through 2-7 and seven and 1-11. and 11. This was worse than some of those losses because it was just – you just expected so much more of an effort out of this, and this was a no-show. I mean, in every way, shape, and form, basically, this was a no-show. And, uh, man, put this one behind you for sure. Um, yeah, don't even think about this one, I guess, if you don't have to. But you better learn from it, that's for sure, because TCU's got to be licking their chops after that one. Yeah, and, I mean, we, we've talked about this, I think, coming into the week that I, I just – you know, Blake Shapin was giving me a lot of concerns heading into this week. He just was not playing very good football. Um, the game against Oklahoma, I did not feel like he played very well. Tech, he played okay. Kansas, he did not play well. Like, it's just been kind of this rocky up-and-down ride with him, and the turnovers have been the only thing that's been consistent. Um, and so coming into this game, he, he needed to play really well and really efficient. He did not. He was inaccurate at the biggest moments. Um it felt like he was doing some sort of one-on-one -on -one type stuff. Like Dave Randa said, he was trying to, you know, run the football and kind of pressing a little bit. You could see that. Yep. Um, but so he doesn't need to feel that way. Like, that's to. the thing is, like, you know, Randa keeps talking about this. Is like, guys, I understand that they're young in some ways. But, like, dang, mate, you're 10 weeks into this thing. Like, yeah. there's not that kind of pressure on you, believe it or not. Like, but just go was, out and play football. Yeah, I think it was more when they got down. And he said this yeah. was the first time he felt like their offense was really pressing and unable to really do anything. And, I, you know, I just, again, I have issues when I look at the box score and watching the game where I see, you know, Baylor ran the ball 23 times and they ran for four and a half yards per carry. Like, they were running the ball well. They just did not run the football. And you can't have that. Like, this team's not built to throw the ball 30 eight times and only run at 23 they're just not built that way and I know you got down and then you had to throw it I understand that but there were points in this game where they had opportunities to run the ball and they chose not to against a defense that was kind of reeling from a week ago when they got ran all over by Texas and so yeah I mean maybe they shored some things up I didn't really see it I just felt like Baylor abandoned their run game and so now we're here and now you're looking at okay Blake Shapin needs to play better but How's that going to change? You know, you kind of are who you are at this point in the season. And I just don't know if they have the playmakers to really make him thrive. But I also don't think he's been very sharp either. Um, so now you're looking, you know, at going into the final game of the year. And you're just thinking, okay, are we going to see a completely different team than we've seen all year? 
I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Yeah, I mean, the the schedule's gotten tougher uh, in so many ways, but, like, their playmaking um, deficiencies have not changed at all. It only seems like it's grown even more right. uh, as the season has gone along. And, like, you take a Monterey ball win out of the lineup, it's like, oh, my gosh. And, like, that shouldn't be the case. I mean, all due respect to Monterey, he's a great player. Could could be a really great player one day. But, like, they should not have to be so contingent on him that it, like, causes the – the whole thing to lock up. You know what I mean? Right. And, and even that's, Josh Cameron's emergence hasn't necessarily changed the way that I'm yeah. looking about the past. Yeah, it's not like he was going for like 150 and two yeah. scores and like becoming like the next great receiver or anything. I mean, I'll do respect, but like, yeah, everybody's had like moments where it was, it was good, but like they need more than good. They need some great. And you know, they had a lot of guys that they lost from last year who were all proven certified playmakers, big play guys. And, uh, they just don't have, like, any of that this year, really. And if they do, it's, like, very sporadic, and it never strings together or or really ends up uh, complementing each other all that well, you know. One yeah. week it's like, oh, Josh Cameron had a good game, or Ben Sims had five for 80, and, you know, what? but there's just no game-breaking type of dudes there, and that's concerning. And it's like you can't just go hit the portal and grab those guys either because everybody else wants them too. Right. So I, I think the other – part that I, I really struggled with with Shapin's performance was the fact that Kansas State had zero sacks. Kansas State had zero quarterback hurries. Um, they decide not to blitz and drop more guys into coverage and try to use coverage to to basically make Blake Shapin uneasy, and it worked. And that's not a good sign either because that's just being able to stand in the pocket, scan the defense, and be able to be accurate. And he could not do that. So that's pretty concerning. I will say on the other side – a huge factor in this game. If you go back and watch it, if you you know watch a rerun of the game, watch how many times Will Howard threw the ball away when he was about to be sacked. Um, Baylor got six quarterback hurries and one sack in this game. Those six quarterback hurries, there are about four of them that would have been extremely impactful, as in like drive-killing type sacks. And Will Howard smartly was just throwing the ball away, throwing it away. It's like three or four of his incompletions. He only had eight on the night were just throwaways because he was about to get sacked. You change a couple of those, maybe Baylor gets the ball back, maybe they get a stop. Um, but just really smart play from a guy that's been in college for a long time, but he's doing things that, um, you know, we haven't been able to see Blake Shapin do at times this year, throwing the ball away and, and things like that when you're about to get sacked. So I just wanted to mention that because those were uh, game-changing type plays that are kind of hidden stats in my eyes. All right, quickly here, uh, TCU, as uh, we're deep on Kansas State, and that was bad, and now it's over. you got to clear the page, turn it, and be done with it and burn the book. And you definitely better put on a better showing. But then again, like, who knows what to expect this weekend. I'll be there. A lot of people be there. Last game for the Bears, many of them who have uh, helped this team win Big 12 titles and or won the Big 12 title last year. Uh, win some big games, rebuild this program. A lot will be departing and playing their final game after this Saturday in McLean. So, uh, you know, we'll be weird to see Dylan Doyle no longer suiting up in green and gold here in the next few months. And, you know, basically both lines and mm -hmm. Christian Morgan's career finally coming to a close and a bunch of guys are going to be, you know, turning the page. Uh, so one final opportunity to go out on a high note and kind of wash this out of their mouth. But top four unbeaten Big 12 championship game clinched. TCU comes walking into town. Sonny Dykes and the Frogs, 10-0 uh, on the year. Um, you know, they remain to be seen who they'll play in the Big 12 title game. Looks like it probably could be Kansas State. Could still be Texas, technically. Very, very far outside shot, but actually no chance at all. Baylor, uh, Oklahoma State, a small odds outside, still, yeah. but... 
Um, regardless, TCU owns this rivalry. They've absolutely dominated um, in the last few years, uh, and whether that's close games or that's absolute historic blowouts, winning by 40 and 20-plus. Or being the worst team and still winning. Or being yeah. the worst team they've had in several decades, probably, and still beating Baylor last year and Baylor's greatest season ever. Like, this this series has been one-sided. There's no two ways to slice it. And um, this is as one-sided as it's been in TCU's favor maybe ever um, since I've been here, um, you know, because at least Baylor's been competitive most of the time. And then even when they weren't, TC wasn't 10-0 and 0 and headed towards the CFP, uh, but here we are. And so uh, they've got a lot of momentum walking into Waco, Grayson. What do you think about the Frogs? Yeah, you know, I think that I, you know, I was telling Garrett this before we started recording. I, I actually do feel like Baylor can win this game. I just want to make that clear. I think Baylor can absolutely win this game. You know, I'm going to challenge Baylor fans. Like, you need to be at this game. This is a big game for Baylor. Uh, this is where they're putting their brand up against TCU's brand. This is a game where I know it doesn't matter for a Big 12 championship. I understand that. But this is your biggest rival in my eyes. I know some will say Texas. TCU is their biggest rival. And they're going to be in the Big 12 next year and for years to come. Baylor needs to find a way to at least put together a very good performance in front of their home fans Last game of the year. This is an opportunity for them to play their best game at home that they've played all season long and try to pull off a huge upset. Um, I just think Baylor fans need to be there for these seniors. The seniors have been awesome. They won a Big 12 championship a year ago. Show yep. up to the game if you can. Yep. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal for this program and huge deal for Dave Aranda and this staff and for these young guys on the football team. We've been talking about how they're so young and they need to grow up. You know what's great for growing up? Beating a TCU team and having a lot of confidence going into the bowl game and into the offseason and everything like that. I just think this is one that people are kind of underselling just because they lost to Kansas State In last a major week. way, dude. Major in a, way. And there, there, there's not a point being proven to the administration or to Dave no. Aranda. You're not proving anything but just making Baylor look bad, and, basically. Yeah, and let me just put it, put it as frankly as I can. TCU, in their last five games, they don't have a single game in which they've won by more than 10 points not a single one this should be a 10 point or one score game 100 percent. if baylor plays at all the level they're capable of playing this should be a close game and so i just you know baylor fans you need to show up i know you can't control the outcome on the field but you sure as heck can make it an environment that's really fun for the players that they can kind of maybe gravitate towards and, and get momentum uh, going into this game. So I'm pumped for it. I think this is going to be a thrilling matchup. I think Dave Aranda is about to pull out his um, you know, playbook and just start going to work on this TCU offense. We saw it against Texas Tech. He was phenomenal you know, calling plays for the defense in that game. I think their scheme in this one is going to be very, very important, and I think he's going to have a great game plan for this TCU offense um, that's been kind of uneven the last few weeks, especially throwing the football. Uh, they've been rather inconsistent. Max Duggan, his completion percentage has been uh, far you know, down since those first five games of the year. It's kind of been a little bit rocky in Big 12 play. And so I think Baylor's got an opportunity to make them you know, one-dimensional. And I think their run defense could show up in a big way with all these seniors ready to play and um, ready to go. Uh, you know, I think they could get stopped. So uh, you know, TCU, offensively, they're great. We know this, 40 and a half points per game. Awesome. But I do think they still have some holes, and they're relying on their explosivity offensively instead of their consistency. And I think that actually bodes pretty well for Baylor, a defense that's trying not to give up the big plays and trying to force an offense to drive down the field methodically time after time. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, they can throw it or pass it with Max Duggan. Uh, he's been terrific since taking over earlier in the year. They've got two-headed monster at running back. Kendry Miller will make this defense pay if they don't wrap up and they don't just do their job, basically. And then if he's not going to hurt him, Amari DiMarcato will. And the receiving game, you've got Quentin Johnston back from injury. Uh, last week, it was all the TCU defense, you know, that really was the MVP because Texas shut down TCU's offense and TCU likewise shut down Texas' big playmakers. But you're looking at DeMarcado. Kendry Miller is a stud. Yeah. Duggan can be a stud. Quentin Johnston's a stud. You got Darius Davis. You've got Tay Barber. You've got uh, Jared Wiley, the former Temple product, two Temple Wildcats that are. And Texas transfer. And right? Texas yeah. transfer, yeah. But. Um, they're loaded. Obviously, Sonny Dyke's a smart coach, uh, but he's also got one Garrett Riley, who's like now, you know, one of the hot names in, in college coaching assistant talk. And, um, you know, even to the point of Jimbo should hire Garrett Riley. You're hearing a lot of that. But uh, your thoughts on Baylor's defense squaring off with a, a very formidable Frogs offense, even though they had a rough week last week against UT. Yeah, so it's the same thing. Last week, it was all about the explosive plays. They had a 75-yard run from Kendra Miller, and they had a 31-yard uh, reception by Quentin Johnston. Both were for touchdowns. That was literally the difference in the game. Those two plays, um, that got them their 17 points, essentially. Uh, but they weren't consistent. And the Texas defense, like, really played well. But I think they showed a path for Baylor to also make plays and, and get in the backfield. Texas had five sacks, 14 tackles for loss, and two quarterback hurries. Like, they were in Max Duggan's face all night long, making things extremely tough for him. And if Texas offense had really shown up at all in that first half, they really could have had an opportunity to take a big lead going into halftime, which has kind of been, you know, TCU's issue this year is their first half, their starts. They've been amazing in the second half, but not so great in the first half. Baylor's got to find a way to take an early lead into halftime. If they can do that, they'll give themselves a shot. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... You know, just looking at Kendra Miller as the focal point, in my eyes, you got to be able to stop their run game um, and then force Max Duggan to stand in the pocket and be consistent throwing the football because at times he's been very, very rocky doing that. Uh, again, I, I think this is all going to come down to Dave Randa's game plan. How can he scheme against this TCU defense to force them to consistently convert third and long, third and six? How can they get off the field on third and six? And how can they force them into third and six? I think that's going to be a key in this game and not give up those huge plays deep. Yeah, they, uh, they're all about the explosive plays, not so much like K-State with grinding it out and going on a 15-play, five-and-a-half-minute drive. But if you look at what really killed Baylor last week, look at the differences in keeping drives alive, like what they were like on third and fourth down versus what K-State was like. And then you look at TCU and Texas, and uh, Texas one of 13 on third down last week. One of four on fourth down last week. So Texas was two of 17 on third and fourth down in that game and lost 17 to 10. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, TCU never went forward on fourth down. They were seven of 18 on third down. Like, there's your game right there. I mean, I, and there was a turnover, you know, involved, uh, you know, for both sides. And there was, you know, this or that. I but mean, I mean, Texas got the fumble return for a touchdown in garbage time. Yeah. 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 But, yeah, I mean, but, like, that – but TCU won, and they won a big part of the reason why is because they they converted on third down in a major way, and Texas just could not 
convert on their third and fourth downs uh, nearly as often or as, as much as they would have liked. Right, and it's that same thing. I mean, Texas, 22 carries for 28 yards. That's going to put you in a lot of third and longs. And Quinn Ewers was under, what, 50%? I mean, he was like 40% completion percentage in this game. He was absolutely terrible. Um, Max Duggan was more accurate, more efficient, and they could run the football. There you go. I mean, that leads to those third and fourth down opportunities being closer, being long. And so, yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is if Baylor wins this game, it'd be a massive upset. I think we all know that. But I also want to urge people to remember, this is a two-and-a-half-point spread. Like, mm-hmm. Vegas knows things. Vegas obviously is, you know, they've been around for a very long time. They know how these games are going to end up. They are usually pretty close. Like, they're expecting a close game. They're expecting a Baylor team to rebound from their biggest stinker of the year. And if Baylor plays their best game of the year, they will beat TCU on Saturday. They will. And I don't think Baylor's played their best game of the year yet. They got two more opportunities to do that against two of the best teams in the conference. We'll see if they're able to. Um, But I I just would not write them off in this game. I absolutely would not actually think it's a decent matchup for the Bears as well. So um, we'll see. Obviously, if Baylor runs the ball for 28 yards, they're not going to win this game. So they're going to have to do something Texas couldn't do. Uh, But in general, TCU has given up yards on the ground to most teams they have played. Um, So I think there will be opportunities for Baylor to uh, run the football and opportunities for Blake Shapin to complete you know, big plays and convert third downs and everything like that. I just, I hate this idea that the season's lost. Oh, yeah. You're about to play a top four team. You're about to try to get your seventh one of the year. You're trying to get into uh, potentially like an Alamo Bowl or something along those lines. Like for people to not show up to this game would be absolutely a horrible look for this Baylor program in a game that truly is very meaningful. And it's senior night. I mean, send the seniors out with a massive win and what might be like a storming of the field type game as well. Uh, It's a huge one. And I just, I I think people are kind of not talking about it enough and not excited about it enough because it's really a fun opportunity for this Baylor football team on Saturday. Yeah. And why are, is there like maybe not as much excitement for a, top four undefeated arch rival coming into town because people didn't see what they wanted to a week ago. Like, that's just, that's, I mean, I I get some of the angst, but, man, a lot of it just seems like spoiled brat type of reaction. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can say what you want about any adult involved or whatever, but, I mean, you know, the players come to Baylor you know, and they expect that uh, fans are going to be there for them and that they, they're committing to an institution and a fan base and support and all that. And, you know, I, I think that Baylor fans do a great job given that they are not as large as many others. Um, but I do think if there, you know, is like a concern on my part moving forward, it, it is a sort of like this sort of almost like in but out wishy-washy kind of um, – sometimes feeling that I get um, that when you're a small school, you can't really have that because there's no one to reinforce. There's like no reinforcements coming. And so it just ends up looking bad, you know, right. and like there's no support for a team that just won a big 12 title a year ago. And, you know, forget even what an opposing fan base thinks because they're going to find things to pick apart. But yeah, like if you're Dave Aranda and you're in the future weighing options and you can have like every week guaranteed 70,000 in the stands, rain, shine, whatever versus, you know, sometimes what the the struggle is to get forty thousand on a seventy degree day. It's just, it's like I don't want to get into the whole thing again because every year there's like one or two of these conversations, and I end up just banging my head against the wall because we repeat ourselves. But yeah. I think it's worth mentioning this case because there is that feeling coming out of last Saturday of like, well, they got blown out. I'm angry. I'm not showing up anymore. And it's like that's not proving anything. That's just it's just 
tells the players that you're wishy-washy. Right. And this uh, team needs you. Like, on Saturday, like, dude, yeah. this is uh, – it's just, yeah. It's it, frustrating. It is. And, and, we're, and if you know what, and like I said, because we do need to move on we here. We shouldn't have to say this for this game. No, no, that's the point. Yeah, it, we should yeah. not – no matter what happened last week, this should not have to be like a motivational thing in no. any way, shape, or form given the opponent – the timing of it, the location. For the, fans or players, this right. should not be – this is right. the easiest game to get up for. And look, we're all on board with the players not being up for last week yeah. and, like, deserving tons of criticism and the staff and all that. Like, not going to shy away from that, even though I do think, like, calling for changes is ridiculous or whatever. But yeah. that's, like, the most extreme. That's message board stuff that's going to happen, right. and you're just used to that. But, yeah, like, I'm with you, dude. Um, but – you know, we'll see how it turns out on Saturday. Hopefully, it's a good showing. I do believe deep down that there are Baylor fans that know the deal um, and that we just end up having to bog down with, like, the ones that need to be heard and angry and, you know, get their temper tantrums out because they're mad about the result and all that. I get all that comes with the territory. It's every fan base in every school. But I do think this particular fan base, this particular school has an element that they need to be very careful with as far as threatening their support and that kind of thing. I don't think that you have as much power there as you, you know, as you, uh, maybe that's not the way, right way to phrase it, but it's not as effective as you think it is. Right. It doesn't it, make your point come across as well as you think that it does. last week it became more of a distraction. Yes. Than it did any good. Like the whole blackout thing. Okay. Like we all can agree, like, cool. That would be cool. But when it becomes like a, you know, fan against administration type thing to make a blackout happen. Like that's not a good look. It just adds more of a distraction than anything. And now that's why I'm saying going into this week, I think we're going to get rid of that. There's not going to be a blackout. You're going to show up to this game. You're going to cheer on the bears like a normal football game. Like it should be every week, except you're playing your rival who happens to be undefeated and in the college football playoff while you're sitting there at six and four. Um, I, I just, yeah, I, I, last week was a distraction. Yes. I'm excited to move forward to this week and see Baylor play a really good TCU team and get an opportunity to go out and pull off a, a huge upset and put together their best performance of the year. Very excited for that. Absolutely. And to the fans who showed up and packed out and were there from the get-go and all that, well done. Like, yeah. not talking about you. Not talking about the ones that drive to all the home, the road games. Not talking about the ones that pay out of pocket for everything. Not talking about you. No. Talking about the element that just it's when convenient, you know, and when they feel justified and, sh- and like that's just that's not real support is basically what we're saying. Right. I think. And it's fine to complain and then still show up to games right. and still cheer for your team. But there's a difference when you complain and then you're saying I'm out. Right. There's a huge difference between those two things. So there's yes. just that fine line right there. So there's that on that. And, you know, hopefully that's not an element of this game at all this week, but don't automatically take offense. You know who you are, and if you're taking offense, then, then we're probably directing to you. But, yeah, yeah. but, um, I mean, it's just – it's true serum, uh, basically, is, is kind of what's needed, I think, after last week. There's just that that feeling coming out of it all that the air needs to be cleared a bit. Yeah. Um, so, uh, hats off to everybody that helped organize, you know, people showing up eventually and all that, but it just has a lot of effort um, for, for what was a big game. So, now another big game – Hopefully they can capitalize this time. Hopefully there's a good showing, and hopefully they perform a lot better too because that will put butts in seats as well, and that was something that, you know, if you want people to come back, you also need to play well and not perform like that because you put that up again, and, well, it's going to be a, it's gonna be a long time regardless because there's no more games, right. but it would really be uh, nice to see a, a better effort from the coaching staff and team. So 
TCU coming up this weekend. We'll get into some Big 12 picks, but uh, first grace in basketball kicked off last week. Uh, the men uh, with a 2-0 start. The women with a 2-0 start. The men actually 3-0 now at this yeah. point after the win over Northern Colorado. Uh, last night, 95-62, uh, to 62, and uh, this Friday they'll be heading to Las Vegas for the uh, Continental Tire main event where they will take on Virginia, and then we'll see from there how they – you know, how they move on. But uh, the Cavaliers, big top team coming up uh, on the schedule and a nice win last night. Yeah, and Baylor's currently number five in Ken Palm. So they're they're playing really good basketball right now. Uh, number two, uh, offensive adjusted offense and number 16 defensively. So they've been very solid. Like you said, they're going to get challenged in a very different way than they have in the early part of the year. Uh, I don't think there's a ton you can take away from Northern Colorado, Norfolk State, and Mississippi Valley State. But I do think that watching those games, you come away very impressed with kind of the the guard play, how they've been able to get Jalen Bridges and Caleb Lohner, um, you know, adjusted so quickly. I, I think that's been great to see. Um, Keontae George has been as advertised. He's been awesome. Adam Flagler at point guard has been really good. Um, and this team can hit shots. So you kind of put that all together and you understand why they're such a dangerous basketball team. Um, and they put a lot of pressure on you offensively. And I think they're only going to get better defensively as well. So, Something to look forward to this weekend. Um, they play Virginia on Friday. Uh, Virginia is number six in Ken Palm. Uh, they're ninth and eighth uh, offensively and defensively. So this is a big challenge uh, for the Bears. If they win that game, they'll face uh, the winner of Illinois and UCLA. UCLA is number eight in Ken Palm. Illinois is number 26. I think everyone would love to see Baylor face Illinois because of the Matt Meyer uh, of course, thing there. But either way, a very exciting weekend for uh, this basketball team and a chance to really show how good they are, right, in the early part of the season. This is like proving time early in the year. If they win these two games, they're going to be looking like, uh, you know, they might be the number one team in the nation um, is how I could see it unfolding just because it's two really big games for them. And I'm excited to see if they rise to the challenge on neutral court, too, in Vegas. Yep, so I'm sure we'll have some folks uh, in attendance there uh, in Vegas. There. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Kendall, and uh, I think Brian's been there recently, hasn't he? I think so, yeah. Yeah. He so, might be going. Maybe. Maybe. Uh, I know he was in Vegas, like, already uh, based on Twitter, so I don't know if he's hanging around for a few days there or not. But, yeah, I mean, we'll have some folks up there um, covering the game and taking it in, and that's a cool atmosphere. That's a good road trip. Go to Las Vegas, play in their nice T-Mobile arena, and you know play some good competition. So big opportunity for Baylor basketball. 3-0. and uh, Keontae George is settling in. Um, little, He's good. Yeah, a little, really little bit of a difference maker there, but uh, it's been fun to kind of see this team you know, in its infancy. Um, but now, yeah, we'll see a lot against uh, West Virginia starting on – or excuse me, against Virginia, number 16 team in the country starting on Friday. Meanwhile, the women off to a 3-0 start uh, with wins over Lamar and Incarnate Word – excuse me, 2-0 start. Gosh, keep t counting the exhibition game. But uh, Lamar and Incarnate Word, so a 2-0 start for the lady uh, – well, nope, that doesn't count anymore – for the Baylor women. And uh, they will face SMU tonight and then number 19 Maryland at the Farrell Center – uh, coming up on Sunday afternoon. So, top 25 matchup for them later this week. Yeah, and I, I think someone posted a stat that uh, Baylor women's basketball hasn't beaten SMU since 1990. Is that right, Wow. Gary? Yeah, since 1990. Wow. I, don't, I don't know how many times they've played in that stretch. I can't imagine that's a ton. 
Um, but yeah, since 1990, so that's 32 years <laughs> since they beaten SMU. So, um, uh, that'll be an exciting one. Like you mentioned the Maryland one as well on Sunday, they're number 19, I believe Maryland. So like you said, top 25 opportunity there for the lady bears. Uh, yep. Um, were you going to add anything, Garrett, there? Okay. Uh, so, yes, we got all that coming uh, your way, men's and women's hoops. And, um, yeah, we'll see how the uh, rest of the week goes. But fun seeing basketball get started and, and lifted off uh, on a good note for both programs so far. All right, uh, into the mailbag we go. That's all right, right uh, Bear Sack. Grayson, is there any locker room dissension with this football team? Sometimes these unexplainable weak efforts stem from some internal divide. Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to say there's locker room dissension. I think that there is clearly this lack of overall leadership. And I think that last year the team was very, you know, they had leaders, but also I felt like it was a very self-accountable team. And when you have young guys, when you have a lot of young guys, it's kind of hard for young guys to be self-accountable so early in their careers. And so I think they're working through that. I think Dave Randa's mentioned that and, you know, that, that kind of is what it is. And that's why young teams often have hard times winning at the highest level. And I will say they've lost a lot of close games this year as well. So they've been right there. Um, but I don't think this is some sort of thing where it's like, oh, the locker room's falling apart or anything quite like that. It's not to that level. I just think there's some growing up to do. And uh, I, I think that's pretty normal when you're starting a bunch of guys who uh, weren't playing a year ago. Yeah, I think there's some chemistry issues, but it's not necessarily like the locker room's divided or anything like that. But I definitely think there's some chemistry that's not quite right. And there's a talent issue. Yeah, there's definitely that at, too. At certain yep. positions as well. So that might make it look worse on the field than it actually truly is. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is our best win of the season so far? <laughs> I say Texas Tech probably. Yeah, um, they looked really good in that game. Um, man, I'm hoping it's one of these next two because they don't really have a marquee win on the schedule. I, I think winning at Oklahoma was a big step for this team because it's just it's hard to win in Norman, and a lot of teams don't win in Norman. So I'm going to put that one on the list for Baylor. That, that was a gritty win. Could Grimes be a bit lost this year on what we do best as an offense with these starters? We didn't see the RVO for a while, then we did. Deep shots, chunk plays are non-existent. Less tight end production than what I expected, although we see it in spurts. Um, you know, I, that's a great question. I, I think, well, he's a Broyles award finalist as of today or semifinalist, whatever right. it is. And so. they're still putting up a lot of points and they have done that this year. I, you know, I don't like harping on one individual player, but I think, um, I think Blake Shapin's lack of becoming a top, you know, three quarterback in the big 12 has hurt them a lot. Like, because I think if you look through it, he's probably, what do you think, like sixth, seventh in the Big 12? Oh, yeah, probably. Um, and that's hard to overcome um, when you're just relying on your team to run the football and you're not getting steady play from your quarterback position. I think they were expecting more from him. I also think, I think that there was probably maybe too much confidence in their young receivers taking a big step. For sure. And I think that that has really also held them back. And so they were relying on all these young guys to just come in and be extremely talented, and then it didn't all come together, and now we kind of see the offense kind of where it's at. So it's not all on Blake's shape, and it's not all on the receivers, but I think that lack of passing game has really hurt them. And to be honest, we saw this in the BYU game, and a lot of people wanted to write it off and say that it didn't matter but it was kind of foreshadowing for this team going forward that, hey, maybe they do have an issue throwing the football because um, it was very clear that day, and we've seen it uh, at times this year as well. 
Last year's defensive performance was an amazing surprise to me. I didn't expect production, but it was a fun ride. What three defensive positions are must-have talent positions in a random system for it to be successful? Yeah, yeah, you know, that's that's a good question. I think we saw last year that, um, you know, their talent in the secondary is honestly really important. And so I think they really need either cornerbacks who can be on an island and play one-on-one coverage um, with a free safety at the top that can be one high and really kind of patrol the whole field, kind of like JT Woods did. Um or, or I think they need absolutely dominant linebacker play um, with pass rushers. Because right now we're seeing a team that doesn't have elite pass rushing up front. They don't have elite linebacking play, and their secondary is mediocre. You put all that together, and you're going to have holes in your defense. And so I think as this team grows and as they find pieces that fit what they need, I think you're going to see a team that gets a lot better now, specifically, I think they need to get faster, more athletic at linebacker. I think they need to get better at cornerback. Um, and I think they need to find a uh, free safety that can play one high so that you can put guys in better positions to succeed. Um, because just based on what I've seen from, like, Devin Lemire, I think that he could be even better as a boundary or a star. And, you know, Devin Neal needs to be as close to the line scrimmage as possible as well. Um, but in general, they just need development. And they need these young guys to develop. Um, but that's kind of my thoughts on what they're missing this year and what they need in Dave Randis' defense. And another one from Bearsack. Give me your percentage chance of winning the last two matchups. I'll say 40% for this one and – or no, like uh, – yeah, like 40% the next two weeks. Uh, maybe 45 against Texas, but – Yeah, I think this one is uh, – wow, 50-50? Is that bold? I think that's bold. I mean, it's 10% difference. Yeah. It's not that bold. Yeah, 50, <laughs> so, but yeah. I, yeah, but in regards to like, oh, it's a toss-up game, I, I'll go 50-50, and then next week I, I think it's probably more like 40%. I just I think it's going to be hard for this team to win on the road, but who knows? I, I might be wrong. Maybe Texas loses to Kansas and their season falls apart. Tim Bear, why does shape and not appear to have improved, maybe even regressed? Is it Bell's fault? Um. I think it's the sophomore slump that you see a lot of times from a lot of, you see it from quarterbacks all the time. Colt McCoy at Texas had his sophomore slump. He looked great as a freshman, came out as a sophomore, didn't look that great. I just think that there's been other factors besides just shaping that haven't really all come together. And then, yes, like you said, he has had his own issues of not improving. I would also say we didn't really get to see him for, for a full year last year. So you saw a very small sample size and teams weren't really able to scheme for him. Whereas this year, now everyone has film on him. They're all scheming for him. And so I think it's made it, made things a little bit tougher for him. Um, so I would say it's not really that he's, like, taking this huge step back. But I think it's more like he's the quarterback who he was a year ago. But now there's film on him, team scheming for him. But, no, I don't think it's Bell's fault. I think uh, it'll be more on Bell and on Shapin if he's not better next year um, in my eyes. Scotty B, uh, the Baylor King, does Baylor football get back to dominating TCU or dominating the time of possession this week? I would hope so because it would improve chances of winning against TCU. They have to. If they're going to win this week, they probably need to win it something like 37 to 23. They, they definitely need to get back to that, and they need to run the football. Run it. Run the ball. TCU is not a grind-the-clock team. If they're not getting better time of possession or close to it, then that's super alarming that – yeah. TC would dominate time of possession. Uh, most likely, that means that Kendry Miller is probably just going for like 30 carries I and grinding it. I mean, they did that against it. Texas, but that's because Texas couldn't move the ball at all. Right. Yeah. So, 
it's problematic if they're doing that. However it's happening, if they're holding on to the football and grinding it, then you are in major trouble and something's not going right for you. So, yeah, I would think that the time of possession is a, a huge key for Baylor this week. Most likely for Baylor men's basketball for their two games in Vegas this weekend, in your opinion, two wins, two losses, or one win and one loss? Two wins. I'd say two wins. Uh, Mikey, at this point in the season, based on what we've seen, do you all think the coaching staff should stick with original starters to give them more playing time experience next year for players that come back or try someone else, specifically looking at quarterback and receiver, but open if you have any other positions in mind too. Sick TCU, time to get revenge for last year and ruin their season. Thank you, Mikey. Yeah, I mean, they're not benching Blake Shapin, at least according to Dave Aranda, unless he gets hurt, and I don't really think they should. I mean, he's a redshirt sophomore quarterback. He clearly won the quarterback battle against Gary Bohannon and somewhat Kyron Drones as well. And so I think you ride with Blake. Um, I wouldn't mind seeing Kyron get more carries, but, you know, I, I think Blake needs to be the guy and they need to run the football more. At wide receiver, I, you know, I'd be totally fine if they started playing some young guys. But, you know, they're going to play the best guys. Like, Dave Randa's not not going to play guys who are clearly better than older guys he's never been about that so um for me I would but only if they're ready and right now I can't really answer if they are ready I don't get to see practice every single day and I don't get to be in their locker room for meetings and you know I don't know where every single guy is at compared to every other guy on the roster um but yeah I I do think if they're more talented if they're playing better then yeah you you probably make that move but I don't know that they're going to I kind of don't think they will. Yeah, you know, I think there's probably some messages you could send, but really, I mean, if you're making changes, it's for, you know, to close out as strong as possible and then leap into next year. I think you got to be careful of doing damage. Like, like, what would that do to shape and to bench him now with two games to go and say, Kyron Drones is the guy. Like, that's kind of problematic than heading into spring, you know, kind of what that that turns into. That's more bowl prep. Like, if you decide during bowl prep, hey, we need to start Kyron, or hey, we're going to play young guys, I get it. But right now, they haven't done it all year, so why would they do it now? Yeah, I don't know that I see it. Robert Rollsby, how much does character and culture play fit into what the staff chooses to recruit, and do you think they will make any changes to recruiting strategy? It's a little surprising. There's a good bit of Aranda guys in the roster now that aren't developing into leaders. Can we be – okay, so that that first. I mean, yeah, character and culture fit play a major role. I mean, person over player is what they're all about. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that every guy who's a good culture fit turns into some amazing leader, though. Like – there are select few guys who actually turn into great leaders. So I think they've just, they're young guys. That's the problem. I know there's a lot of Aranda guys on the roster, but most of them are still young. Like, you're not talking about him having a bunch of seniors that he recruited on the roster currently outside of the guys who are leaders Dylan Doyle, Apu. Um, you know, those are two guys he brought in. Um, so yeah, I, I know it's a little surprising right now, but as these guys get older, I think you'll find that the guys that Dave Aranda's recruiting are going to turn into tremendous leaders and very good culture builders on this team. And the leaders you had last year were like fifth year guys who had been yeah. through hell and back basically. And, um, you know, he's been around now for, this is his third season, but, I think you'll, you know, know a lot more here in the next year or two. And yeah. if that's still a concern, then that's a major concern because his guys aren't developing. I mean, but if we're talking about this next year, it's a right. major problem. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can we be to TC what they were to us last year? Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, McLennan Bear, 18. What is our strategy going into the transfer portal moving forward? I don't envision us grabbing the can't-miss guys in the portal due to NIL stuff. Maybe we go after guys who we recruited out of high school but lost to another school or under the radar group of five players? Yeah, I mean – I. I yeah, the can't miss stuff's going to be difficult. The really only guy that they did that with was Jackson Player. 
Um, and man, that is not, not worked out to the level that I thought it might. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, they, they need to go out and find some guys who fit their culture and can come in and play roles for this team. I mean, there's specific positions, but as far as strategy goes, um, it's going to be kind of what they did two years ago. They brought in Apu because they saw a clear need. They brought in Dylan Doyle because they saw a clear need. It's going to be about where they need guys and if that guy fits the program and fits what they're looking for because that's the only way they're going to take a transfer portal guy instead of just developing the guys they've recruited out of high school. Yeah, and the thing with the transfer portal too that um, needs to be, you know, Top of mind when people talk about the transfer portal, uh, just like this isn't, you know, because this question popped up. This is like in general because the transfer portal stuff's going to pop up a lot over the next few months. Is like just because you want a stud receiver doesn't mean that one's available. Mm -hmm. And even if one's available, it doesn't mean that you're going to get him just because you want him because Georgia wants him too, and Tennessee wants him too, and TCU wants him too, and Colorado wants him too, and Texas wants him too. You know, it's like Isaiah Nayor. A bunch of teams wanted him last year, but only Texas got him. You know, so. Baylor could have killed to have had someone like that, even though he didn't even play this year because he got hurt. But, you know, you could throw your hat in the ring. Doesn't mean you're going to get him. And so that's that's part of the, the challenge there. Um, also, so, side note, I assume Deuce Vaughn was a senior. He's not. I wouldn't mind K-State being one of the schools left off our Big 12 schedule next year when we add the four new schools. Like, yeah, no, he's only a junior. Don't worry about it. He's going to be gone. No way, dude. He's way too small. Doesn't matter. He's going to be gone. He has a role in the NFL in my eyes. I don't... I, to I don't me, care to argue about it, but yeah, you might be right. I, I, I just don't see a reason for him to come back. Running backs have limited mileage. I think he'll be gone. Personal opinion, I guess. Okay. Um, Shooter TX, what the hell happened on Saturday? We'll check the first, like, 50 minutes of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Bear four cleats with the incoming 23 class. Do you think we have any immediate play guys, Reese neighbors, heading our way? Okay. Or like Reese or neighbors who yeah. played this year? Um, I mean, I mean, Austin Novosad, maybe. I mean, if he comes in and he could win the the starting job with the if Blake doesn't play better, I mean, it's going to be a competition. It should be a, it in my eyes, it should be an open competition in the spring uh, to see who wins that job. So he's one to look at. Um, depending on what they do in the portal, that's going to be a part of this as well. But like at running back, if they lose, you know, let's say they lose Squirrel, let's say you know if they were to lose Tay, then I think a guy like Bryson Washington could come in and play uh, pretty early as well. Um, LeVar Thornton is one that I'm looking at. I think he's one of the best uh, defensive backs in this class, and he could play corner or uh, field safety. So it could be that one high safety uh, if he develops quickly enough. Um, those are a couple. I think the defensive line are going to be up for grabs because Baylor loses so many. So like a DK Kalu is one that I'm looking at. Brendan Bett. Um, yeah, Trey Wilson even maybe because he's early enrolling. Uh, those are some of the guys I'm looking at. Oh, and then Matthew Klopfenstein and Hawkins Polly at tight end because they're going to lose Ben Sims. So those guys will have to play some sort of role. Hopefully not starting role, uh, but they'll be behind like Dabney and Kelsey Johnson. So I think they'll be in the mix to get some plays. All right, so there is the mailbag. And on the Deuce Vaughn thing, just for S's and giggles, I looked it up and um, there's plenty of talk about him because he's one of the best players in college football, but uh, there's also plenty of like, well, he could come out because he's five six and – Maybe be a special teams player. I don't know if being a special teams late rounder will be enough motivation, but we'll see what his scouting report looks like when all is said and done. Uh, but, you know, there is a special thing brewing for the Wildcats next year if he wants yeah. to come back. And that's why I think he'll come back is because could be Will really Howard bad. will be the dude. They've got it all set up to be – that's why I'm where I'm coming from. And the fact that if he – yeah, if he was 6'1", I'd say, okay, yeah, he'd probably go to the NFL draft as a running back. But he's 5'6". 
Um, yeah. And I don't think he has, even in this NFL, like the automatic, he's going to be like Tyreek Hill. He's not very fast. He's quick. But I don't know how fast he yeah, is. You know what more I mean? Like a Naheem Hines, like yeah. that, that type of player. Which I mean, it all comes down to really his stock's not going to change. So it would just have to be about hey, I just want to come back for another exactly. year and risk risk injury, but also risk you know maybe winning a Big Twelve championship, making it you know making a run. So yeah, there, there's a lot in the air. Risk missing out on a Big Twelve title for a quick hundred thousand dollar late round grab potentially too, because you're not going to be a first rounder or a second rounder type guy. So yeah, I mean it depends on his personal situation, but he's a great player, no doubt about that. So uh, TBD on that, I'm rooting for him and. Uh, whatever he decides to do, because he seems like a good guy. Uh, all right, uh, Big 12 picks to close this thing on out. Let's do it. So uh, let's start with the uh, first game of the week, 1 p.m. on uh, ESPN+. Plus. Kansas State travels to Morgantown to take on West Virginia. Kansas State just beat uh, Baylor this weekend, 31-3. to West Virginia knocked off Oklahoma as they continue to play really solid football when they're able to play in Morgantown. Uh, Kansas State is a 7.5-point favorite. The over-under is 55. Uh, give me um, Kansas State to go ahead and book their spot in, in Arlington. I think that they're locked in, and I think that uh, they know what's at stake now. And West Virginia's been tough, man, especially going to Morgantown. Like, last week, who saw that coming? But Neil Brown's basically fired at this point. The AD got canned after the Oklahoma win. So that's that's all you need to know about how West Virginia fans feel about the big win. So, yeah, give me K-State to lock it up here. Yeah, I mean, K-State still got to win both their games to lock it up because Texas is still waiting if K-State does lose a game uh, in their next two. But I will say, going into this one, I think West Virginia might keep this game close. They continue to just play really good football in Morgantown, and they're tough to beat. But I, I got K-State. I think they find a way to get this one done. Uh, I'll take the Wildcats 34-27. to in this one. Next up, 2.30 on FS1. Texas travels to Lawrence to take on Kansas. Uh, Texas coming off the loss to TCU. Kansas coming off the loss to Texas Tech. Um, Texas is a nine-point favorite. The over-under is 64 points, and Jalen Daniels uh, might be making his return uh, to the Kansas lineup this week. Yeah, I mean, we've been saying that for three, four weeks now at this point, I feel like. Uh, he got cleared. Okay, they, he's cleared now officially? Yeah. Great. Um yeah, I I guess that changes my mind uh, a little bit on this one. But uh, I don't know. Does it change yours all the way? No, it doesn't. I, I still think Texas wins this game, but I don't think Kansas is going to go quietly. Like, I think Kansas loves the fact that they're the team that gets to beat Texas. And even when they were bad, they beat Texas. And so uh, I think Texas wins, but I think it's rather close. I think it will be Fairly high scoring, though, so I'll take the Longhorns 38-31 to 31 to get the job done here. Yeah, um, yeah, Daniel's a good player, but I don't think that's enough for me in his first game back to go all in with them. So, yeah, I'll go Texas here. Uh, they'll keep it interesting and, and obviously hope that um, Kansas State can somehow stumble. But, yeah, uh, yeah let me, give me the Longhorns here. Okay, at six An improved performance from Quinn Ewers. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see on that. I just think they're going to run the ball. Maybe. Be smart. Maybe get back to it. Um, 6 p.m. on FS1, Texas Tech travels to Ames to take on Iowa State. Uh, Iowa State's a three-and-a-half-point favorite. The over-under is 48. Iowa State lost to Oklahoma State last week. Texas Tech beat Kansas. Uh, Tech's at 5-5, five and five, Iowa State 4-6. and six. So Iowa State really needs this win to stay in contention for a bowl. And so does Tech. Uh, they need to win one of their final two to go to a bowl game, and that 
final score I don't think was indicative of like no. they just won that game all easily against Kansas and all that. So, man, I don't freaking know uh, how to judge either one of these teams. I guess give me Iowa State at home. I really don't have confidence in them scoring enough, though. That's the only thing. But then again, teams go there and they just get into a grinder. And so I have no idea, but give me Iowa State in Ames because there's just enough uncertainty to, to make that feasible. Yeah, so uh, the last three trips to Ames for Texas Tech, they, the average score is 46-19, to 19, and they've lost all three <laughs> to Iowa State. Uh, this is also a 6 p.m. game, and the low that day is 8 degrees. Um, I don't think that bodes well for their passing game, and I don't trust Tech to be able to just turn around and run the football against Iowa State. I like the Cyclones, and I like them somewhat running away in this one, 24 to 10. Um, yeah, give me Iowa State. I think it sets up really well for them to uh, win this one. And then their trip to Fort Worth uh, will be uh, an opportunity to make a bowl game. So yep. that'll be rather interesting to watch as well. Uh, 6.30 p.m. on ABC, Oklahoma State uh, travels to Oklahoma for their uh, annual Bedlam matchup. Uh, OU's a 7.5-point favorite. The over-under is 64.5. Uh, Oklahoma State beat Iowa State without Spencer Sanders last weekend. Oklahoma lost a crushing one to West Virginia on the road. Um. Repeat that again. What game is this? Bedlam? Bedlam. Um, yeah. yeah, game. I mean, In golly, Oregon. I don't freaking know what these games do. The Big 12 is just so wonky. Um, Spencer Sanders is probably going to play right in this one. Is he? I mean, I would think so. He played last week, but again, that's, no, that's what I'm saying. Played. No, Spencer right. Sanders came in and played. Oh, late? Yeah, he came in and, like, won the game for him. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, okay, he came in twice. End. He came in early for, like, a brief second, and they took him <laughs> back out, and then he came in late and drove him on a, a, a trot. Yeah. Okay. He scored late, and they won the game behind him. So, that's what I'm saying. It's like, does he play now? Because he played last week, basically. I don't know. Um, by default, I guess, give me Oklahoma, but I have, like, no confidence in this pick whatsoever because I, I don't – I, I don't know what to, what teams are showing up, basically. Yeah, I think if Spencer Sanders plays the whole game, then I'll, I'll take Oklahoma State to win this one. But if he does That's not fair. play, then I'm going to go with Oklahoma. So uh, I guess if Spencer plays, they probably win this game 37-28. to 28. If he doesn't play in this game, then I think it's going to be something more like Oklahoma wins it 31-21. to 21. Yeah, he's 9-13 for a touchdown. Um, and the 20-14 to 14 win against... Iowa State last week and um, had that touchdown uh, drive in the fourth quarter uh, to Jaden Nixon. It. Yeah. And uh, that was enough to win the game. Yep. They kicked oh the field gosh, goal after that right. to pad it. But yep. Uh, so Spencer Sanders came back and played hero. But who knows with Bedlam this week? And uh, that'll be, uh, as you mentioned, a night game. So yeah. very interesting. And was it the final Bedlam in Norman? Yeah. That'd be right. Yes, yeah. Be, yeah. So that'll be interesting. Maybe that's part of the reason why it's a, it's a night game and also a very light schedule compared to what we've kind of had most of the time. So, uh, all right. Yeah. All right. Final game of the week, 11 a.m., big noon kickoff on Fox. Number four, TCU travels to McLean Stadium to take on the Baylor Bears. Uh, TCU is a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 57-and-a-half. TCU coming off the big win in Austin. Baylor uh, coming off the crushing loss to Kansas State. Who you got? TCU. You got score? No, I don't have score for any of these games, but I think that they'll win by like 10 or more. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take Baylor. And I TCU just played a game in Austin, college game day. They really got up for it. They, they used a lot of energy on that game. They haven't had a bye week since week two. Um, 
I just think Baylor is going to be very physical. Baylor is going to be able to run the ball on TCU. Um, and I just think this is a game that Dave Rand and the staff are going to take really seriously. I think this is a game they had circled for a long time and have had circled for a long time. And we've talked about these other teams coming in and playing Baylor with revenge on their mind. I think this Baylor team has massive revenge factor on their mind in this game. And I think TCU is going to take them extremely lightly and it's going to be a huge mistake. And I think Baylor's going to win this game. I think it'll be a good one, obviously, uh, but I'll take the bears to close this one out 33 to 30 as they get the huge upset win over the Horn Frogs. I like your optimism, but, I mean, we're 11 weeks in, and I'm just not buying it anymore. I'll believe it when I see it, so I hope you're right in the long run, but uh, I can't bring myself to 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 feel that way. But uh, I understand where you, where your your angle lies, and it makes sense, uh, but just who the heck knows, right, with this football team, which version is going to show up. You would think a pretty good one after last week. Um, so, yeah, we will see on Saturday at 11 a.m. as the Bears play their final home game, final day, uh, at McLean as a player for a lot of folks uh, that have been big, impactful players and people on this uh, campus and, and football team for the last few years. So should be quite the day with a great opponent. And, um, yeah, it'll it'll be uh, interesting to, to see how all that plays out. Of course, we'll be talking about it in every way, shape, or form uh, all over the website in the coming days. The previews continue on. And of course, reviews afterwards. Um, on Saturday and uh, Sunday and so on and so forth. As Then we'll get into the final regular season game of the year. We'll be talking about that next week as they get ready for a Black Friday trip to, thanks, uh, to, to Texas. But, yep, up first can play playoff crusher uh, as the underdog in this revivalry. Uh, TCU heading to town. Grayson, anything before we go? No, just be sure if you're not a Sikkim 365 Premium subscriber, please become one. We have so much content. We're going to have Kendall in Vegas covering uh, Baylor men's basketball. He's going to have all kinds of features and really good articles this week. Football, of course, we cover that uh, a ton. Uh, recruiting side of things for football as well. Be sure to check all of that out. Craig and I are going to do a signing day show in December as well, like we do every year. Um, and then, of course, uh, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. Be sure to check that out as well. Yep, a lot to, uh, to dive into. Hopefully you enjoy it, and we appreciate everybody's support out there. Um, and for those that will be there uh, on Saturday, just be loud and supportive and, and kudos to all of you. And, you know, great effort last week, but they needed as much, if not more, this week. Uh, just on a personal, you know, player support level, um, hopefully there's some folks that uh, can make this one a memorable send-off. And hopefully the team will also make it a memorable send-off for themselves and for the fans as well um, compared to, uh, to obviously, the, the bad taste in our mouths from last week. So great opportunity. Great game upcoming, great opponent, and hopefully a great showing. We'll talk about it all one way or the other coming up next Tuesday, but appreciate the folks behind the scenes uh, and also uh, you for out, being out there listening and uh, being a part of the show. Thanks to Jacob and Garrett. Uh, thanks to Grayson Grunhafer. I'm Craig Smoke. We'll talk to you next time. It's been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.